Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And today we're talking about a couple roguelikes that we've recently played, Slay the Spire and One Step from Eden. Uh, Both of these games are deck-building roguelikes, uh, so for this iteration of our roguelike roundups, the topic is deck-builders. Now, is it deck-builders or deck-likes, or is deck-likes going to get us censored? I've never heard of a deck-like before, so this is a deck-builder in my book. Deck-builder roguelike. All right. Or both of them are, I guess. Um, I I guess there's a lot of different uh, iterations of deck-builder roguelikes out there. Uh, To my knowledge... uh, the first one that sort of kicked off this trend was Dream Quest, which came out on iOS and has just god-awful art, so it never really got picked up outside of its cult following, but um, Slay the Spire admits to being very highly inspired by it. The developer of that game actually went on to work for Blizzard and creates the single-player content for Hearthstone, hmm. uh, another deck builder. So there is um, some shared DNA in these types of games, um, and I think we're going to see that as we talk about uh, Slay the Spire and One Step from Eden. In uh, Hearthstone, though, you don't have to restart from scratch every time, though, right? You can build your own deck and then kind of keep it and build a strategy around it, right? They have um, draft modes in uh, Hearthstone, and they have, like, single-player challenges that um, aren't, like, as well built out as uh, Slay the Spire or something like it is. But there are uh, sort of draft challenges where you're building a deck on the fly. Uh, But, yeah, to to your point, for the most part, you're using a deck that you craft. Big differences to keep in mind while going through this is kind of the lineage of deck builders and roguelikes that before I guess Slay the Spire was the first game for me that kind of tried to combine these two different genres and I think it's interesting how the strengths of one genre kind of conflict with the weaknesses or the strengths of another genre of those two different things but interesting stuff to talk about I'm ready to dive in. Yeah, let's do it. So we're going to start our discussion with uh, Slay the Spire. Uh, It was developed by American studio Megacrit and was published by Humble Bundle. Uh, It was actually first released in early access back in 2017 and had an extremely active uh, early access cycle. Um, It had its official release in January of 2019 uh, and has since come out on um, Windows, Mac, Linux, and recently mobile and Switch. So there's a, a, you can play this in a lot of different places, and it's sort of been a, a nice sort of rolling snowball of momentum in terms of its popularity. And I think it's sort of reached a fever pitch with the recent mobile and Switch launches. What did you guys end up playing it on? Uh, I played it on my iPad. Uh, I, I was on the beach uh, trying to do a COVID-safe getaway with uh, the wife as we're heading towards you know having the kid, and I played a crap ton of Slay the Spire on the beach. It was great. Nice. I've been playing on my iPad as well. Just It's a nice little game that you can kind of play in between things, which I'm not much for roguelikes or deck builders, but I've heard enough about this game that I wanted to play it, and that was definitely an easy place to pick it up. Uh, I played it on the PC, but I definitely see it almost feels like it's more at home on a tablet Uh, in terms of the gestures and the actions that you do. Very, very mobile-friendly interface. Totally. And the the UX was something they said they spent just an ungodly amount of time in this uh, in this development cycle. Uh, I think that was the part that uh, the developers Casey Yano and Anthony Giovanetti claim to have sort of iterated on uh, just a ton before they even started working on cards and balancing and, um, you know, crafting new uh, characters and cards. Mm hmm. 
and it shows. This is a very polished game, not just in graphics, but the UI just, it's butter smooth. It's very clean, not more than you need to see, but not holding anything back either. Everything's at your fingertips without overcrowding you with too much information, I thought. Yeah, reminds me of uh, Into the Breach in that regard. But yeah. uh, before we get into some of the more fine points of uh, what makes this game tick, let's sort of set the stage on what you're doing. Uh, this is a run-based, roguelike type game, like we said before. You're tasked with climbing a tower to slay the spire, quote-unquote, uh, which is sort of an entity that lives at the top of this uh, tower slash spire. So as you're doing that, you start off with a deck of cards, I think something like 10 cards, and you build a, a deck based on a character that you choose um, to you know increase your power, uh, defeat enemies along the way, encounter random events a la FTL, and then uh, finally defeat bosses. Yeah, and the interesting part is that it's not like you're, for the most part, choosing what you're going to get. Like, it's random cards. Sometimes you'll get a pick of three. Sometimes you get to a vendor, and, you know, if you've saved up enough money, you can pick one of ten or something like that. But ultimately, what it leads to is a new strategy every time because you're not going to be presented with the same items and cards and abilities, mm -hmm. pretty much. So, mm -hmm. interesting. Frustrating for me. Uh, this, is not my, <laughs> this is not my kind of game. I hate run-based games. I like to feel like there's progress, and this pretty much resets you to almost zero every single time but it was interesting mm -hmm. you're hereby banned from all roguelike roundups <laughs> i banned myself previously but i had to jump in on this one yep yep well more than welcome i always good to get an extra opinion in there totally especially someone who isn't swimming in roguelike stuff all the time as well like we are very true You kick off each run with sort of a, a weird whale with an F carved into the side of him. I think his name's like Meow, Nyarg, something like that. <laughs> yeah, Meow, and uh, he gives you like a quick boon, and then you're off and running into your first uh, your first battle, your combat. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know you're basically taking turns with your enemy. You play uh, cards based on the amount of energy that you have, and then they have an action which is clearly telegraphed above their head. Both the action and, for instance, like uh, if they're going to attack you, it tells you how much damage they're going to do. So you can make sure that if you have, say, some defensive cards in your hand and you got some offensive ones, you can um, play the defensive cards to de negate the damage coming in without having to commit more than you need to towards uh, playing defensively. Yeah, I liked it. It was kind of like Into the Breach in that way, too. Like, you know what the next guy is going to do before they even do it, which gives you an advantage, I guess. Still very hard. Yeah, it, uh, it, it that perfect information, which I think was something we harped on when we talked about Into the Breach. Uh, go listen to that podcast if you haven't yet, but it's, it's a good discussion. But um, it's really helpful to see what the enemy's going to do, like you said, Clint. And you sort of have a choice in how much damage you want to take. You know, you can... Uh, block as Josh said or you can choose to just power through and, and fight do damage to them now worth noting is this information isn't quite perfect uh, sometimes instead of attacking the enemies you see a little symbol above the enemy that says I'm going to do a buff or I'm going to do a debuff on you and if you play the game enough you eventually get to learn what they're going to do and maybe you can prepare for that in your next hand or your, uh, you can strategize around that but it's not necessarily completely perfect information 
It's worth noting from the, the combat perspective, though, that the way you're increasing your powers is finding new cards, uh, which you get after each battle or during events or from a store, you can buy them. There's a lot of ways to acquire cards, but really what you're trying to do is find cards with synergies. Uh, the only way to really compound your power in this game is to find things that will synergize with each other in the cards. Like an example is... Uh, in, uh, cards that increase your block and then the body slam card which uses your armor as a, an attack uh, mm-hmm. on the enemy so like my most successful run i ever did was with the ironclad and we'll talk about the classes later but basically it was use blocking attacks and attacks that increase your block then use a barricade which allows you to keep block turn after turn and then entrench which doubles your block uh, and then body slam which allowed me to use my armor to attack enemies so basically, I would just build up this gigantic wall of armor, and I think at one point I did like two attacks worth more than four hundred damage to an enemy as a result. Holy of that. crap! That's a that's a good strategy. I never tried that one myself. Uh, but on that topic too, you're trying to create a deck that has a lot of synergies to it, and one of the things with a deck builder is that it's it's easy to disrupt that synergy because you only draw a certain number of cards per hand. Are per turn, if you have cards in your deck that aren't related to that strategy, that actually weakens your deck. I mean, they might be good cards on their own, but if you're trying to build a focused deck, um, you have to be very particular about what cards you add to it. Yeah, Josh, that was actually one of the things that you told me, I think, in the chat that actually helped me up my game a little bit when you said, don't always pick a card. So every time you, I think it's every time you beat an enemy, you get a pick of three random cards. And for I was always just taking one of them. I'm like, this one seems like the best of the three. But after a while, you start to realize, like, hey, if it just doesn't fit my strategy, I should not touch any of them. And actually, you pay money to pull things out of your deck later, and that's actually a help. It was a complete shift in the way I thought about it, and it helped. From what I understand, the better you are at this game, uh, the fewer cards you end up using at the end. Yeah, thus will run. Hmm. Um, I never really got to that point myself. I'm, I, I've only really gotten to the top of the tower successfully and beat the game once. Wait, all the, all the way through? Oh, no, 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 not Act 4. Sorry, just Act 3. My bad. How, what's the farthest you got, Josh? Did you did you actually get to the top? I got to Act 4, I think, five or six times. Uh, wow. And I... I'm sorry, I got to the final boss of Act 4 five or six times. And there was one time I was one turn away from winning, but he got me right beforehand. Wow. Bummer. Nah. I made it to the boss of Act 2 multiple times, and I could never seem to get past the Act 2 boss. Like I just felt like I was so worn down by the time I got there that there was no beating it. The overall structure of the tower is that there's, um, you know, three different uh, zones and then a hidden fourth zone, uh, which you can unlock eventually, and each is uh, capped off with a boss. Your health is completely recharged after you defeat the boss, but there's a long run-up uh, before each uh, floor's boss, and that is, as, as Clint said, the place where the game sort of wears you down, or uh, if you're doing well, prepares you. There are a number of different routes you can take with, within each zone. And you can choose the starting point for your route, you, uh, usually one of between three to five different starting routes. And then 
the branches come together and separate off uh, so you can choose some paths along the way. You might choose to go to a campfire to rest and recover some HP. You might choose to take on an elite enemy to get some more relics, which they're things that gives you, give you um, buffs throughout the game. Or you might um, choose to take a uh, route that has more question marks, has more random events, because those can be, of course, good or bad, depending on which, which event you come up against. Yeah, think of a map kind of like the FTL map, if, you, if uh, the listener has played FTL. It's very reminiscent of that to me. You know, you're kind of choosing uh, a variety of different routes on sort of an interconnected, you know, series of nodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but to that end, you mentioned uh, uh, that we have various different classes. I had talked about the Ironclad, um, and there are, I believe, currently four classes in this game. That's uh, right. I, I'm, I'm not aware of any additional ones, unless I haven't unlocked them yet. But uh, the Ironclad, the Silent, the Defect, and the Watcher. Um, what did you guys think of the classes, and did you have a favorite? Yeah, I thought there was a really good variety with the different classes. I was surprised at the number of different kind of deck building strategies you would find out through the classes um even within each class i could think of three or four strategies for each of them that revolve around different aspects of a deck building game like uh brian talked about the ironclad where he had the big block uh kind of thing when i did my successful ironclad run because you got to beat the game with the first three classes before you can get to act four um you got to beat Act 3 with the first three classes. Uh, so my Ironclad, I had a very strength-focused deck, which strength gives you a buff to your um, to the damage you do with each card. Uh, so there's, that's a couple of different things you can do there. Uh, the Poisoner, you can throw a lot of little tiny knives, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts, which I think is actually one of the cards. Or you can um, throw a lot of poison spells at the enemies, uh, my favorite was the defect who had these orbs uh, that you could cast uh, different spells with. And if you had an orb, it was either used up each turn or it stuck around and did kind of like this passive buff. Yeah, I think that the defect is the clearest indication that this game was made by computer science majors. Um, <laughs> the, the sort of like buffer and cache of the orbs around your character that you just sort of work through the progression with is very reminiscent of like um a bus or you know something along those lines in in computer memory yeah very uh q-based system there for you computer science nerds and and the one we haven't talked about yet is the watcher which actually is my favorite uh who sort of works in stances uh there's a few other aspects to the watcher too um but the main two stances it has is wrath and um serenity i think or relax something like that um or calm yeah it's uh, wrath and calm Mm-hmm. But basically, uh, the Watcher weaponizes schizophrenia. So you come out of calm into your wrath, and immediately you have two additional action points, and it doubles the amount of damage you give and receive. So there's sort of this ebb and flow of combat with the Watcher that's really interesting. And uh, I was able to put together a few successful runs with that character as well. Mm-hmm. The Watcher also has some strategies revolving around retaining cards, because a lot of their their cards you can keep in your hand instead of discarding that at the end of each turn and save it t- for when you need it. Yeah, it's probably the closest thing this game has to like a control deck. If you think about like um, Magic or Hearthstone or something, um, you're able to sort of control enemies' focus by using like a taunt 
type card, right? Keep the focus on your one uh, armored character instead of your, your main protagonist or something like that. But in this game, there's no such thing as a control deck, right? The, the enemies can attack you at any time and you can block that damage, but there's no like distracting them. Um, but the Watcher allows you to just build up so much energy in a given turn. And I think to a lesser extent, the defect does this too. Um, that you can just sort of continually toss cards their way and hopefully you're doing enough damage to just kill them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never got far enough to do the Watcher. Like I said, I only ever got to, uh, what was it, Act 2 boss, which I guess I'd have to have beaten Act 3 to to get that. But, but you got the Silent though, right? You got the, the Ironclad and the Silent. I got the other three, actually. I got the Defect as well. Uh, at the beginning, I really stuck to that Ironclad because you get heals every, it means small heals, but you, you get something every, you know, after every battle or, or whatever, and that helped the slow trickle help me push farther, but... Uh, the defect after you learn some strategy can be pretty powerful. I thought with all the orbs, I like that one. I actually liked playing a kind of power based, um, power based strategy with the defect. There were three types of skills: attacks, you know, they do what they say on the tin; skills, which might be defend for ten damage or do some other crazy spell thing, uh, and then powers would be buffs that you give yourself that last for the rest of combat. And there are some pretty good power combos you can get where you draw a new power card every turn you draw new cards when you play a power uh there's some relics you can get where it makes other a uh, random card in your hand free to play when you um play a power card that turn and there are the, just these massive chains i would get going um including there's a power card that uh um prevents the next all damage the next time you get attacked Uh, So you can kind of chain that up, and that's the closest I got to beating Act 4 was when I had this massive power chain. I'd just uh, play like 15 powers in a row and just kind of um, lay waste to a lot of things. In these deck builders, like you're rarely going to just skate by. It seems to me like you either completely break the game and your character is just owning ass, or you're probably going to get weeded out by one of the first few bosses. And it's kind of, it's interesting that games like this incentivize you to break the game, right? Like that is, I mean, not break the game, quote unquote. I'm sure the developers have thought of pretty much every um, different combination and synergy that can be done here. But um, the crazy thing is like the ones that you can do and how powerful they make you compared to what you're going up against. Like when you have a really good uh, sort of progression in your deck uh, it can feel really satisfying to be like yeah I, I crafted this finely honed killing machine here mm-hmm. yeah it's a good feeling when that happens i think the, the the fully randomized nature of this game does kind of subvert some of that game breaking uh synergies because just because you could do it this time doesn't mean you can do it again next time and it doesn't just have to do with the deck that you're building it also has to do with well what artifacts do you have like your artifact uh inventory can totally change how the game plays even with the same deck one uh one run to another so even if you find that magic silver bullet you're not going to have it again next time so it's making you find something new absolutely and these artifacts or relics were a huge part of the strategy too uh there'd be times where there'd be a lot of times where i'd be playing and kind of going towards one strategy but then you pick up the right relic and it opens up new doors strategies that weren't um weren't appropriate before wouldn't be very powerful before become more powerful so you try to shift your deck towards that then yeah i really like the relic system in in this game it it definitely sort of adds an entire new dimension to to the builds and 
uh, as Clint mentioned, you can't count on getting a certain relic or something like that, or as you can't count on it any more than you can count on getting a certain card. So at some point, you're kind of just trying to craft a new strategy slash set of synergies on the run, which um, can be rewarding if you're managed to do it, or it can be frustrating if you're like, I just need one more card to make this super <laughs> strategy that I'm aware of work, and you just never get it and you die. Yeah, I feel like you just gotta, <laughs> this is a game that kind of just makes you roll with it. You might get all the things you were hoping for, but more than likely you're going to run into some shit and you're just going to have to make the best of it. And that's why this game is so hard, I think. It's just because all the pre-planning in the world doesn't do shit. Uh, I've played this through quite a bit, obviously not as much as you guys, but I don't think I saw too much repeating from a, I definitely saw them from the card perspective, but I almost saw no repeats on the artifacts, which leads me to believe that there are so many that it's not like this is like a one of ten start again and you might get the one you want. Like there, there's a whole lot going on there. I, I want to say there's a hundred to a hundred and fifty different relics you can get. That makes sense. Yeah. So you're most likely never gonna have. Well, you'll never have the same run completely, but you're unlikely to even have similar runs. Like it's gonna be something totally different just about every time. You can get relics from events or from uh, encounters with elite enemies, which are sort of harder combat scenarios that they the game throws at you. And you can you choose to engage in those, right? I've never run into a situation where uh, I'm forced to fight an elite to progress, but um, I think there there is a possibility for that just in the random generation of the map. But um, I don't think you, I ever saw them in one of the question marks. I think I only ever ran into like normal enemies there. Oh wow, huh? If you guys never played, I, I always gun for the elites. I try to plan my routes for the most elites you can get because it gives you more relics, buffs your characters up even more. See, I was scared. I didn't want to go that way. I, I always go around them. But I guess that's probably what gets you. Like That's probably why I continue to get to the end of... I almost always get to the end of Act 2 and then die. And it's probably... That's what you need to get over that hump is to have... Uh, powered yourself up enough to have enough relics to be able to put something crazy together to get over that hurdle and i just haven't got there yeah so speaking of the bosses uh you mentioned continuously dying to the boss of act two but it's interesting to note that there are multiple bosses that appear for each floor right i think there's a a couple options on each floor and you can see which one it's going to be like i don't know if you noticed this but you can look on the map and there's different icons depending on the boss that it's going to throw at you so if you recognize that icon and know what boss it is you can sort of plan your deck accordingly i saw that you could do it but i was never advanced enough to have actually put together a strategy for the specific boss yet that might be something i do in the future Mm -hmm. well not just putting together a strategy like what cards do you want to take uh but more like oh this is um, going up against this particular boss. My current deck is going to be a little bit weaker. So maybe on that last campfire right before the boss, I heal up and get more HP instead of thinking I can make it on kind of like half HP and spending that campfire upgrading one of my cards instead. Wow. I feel terrible. If that was actually an option for you to not heal up before the boss, then I'm truly terrible <laughs> at this game because I always had to. I Sometimes I would pick the run up to the boss that I knew had like two campfires in rapid succession so that I could be fully healed before I got there. And I would still die. Man, I on my good runs, like I don't know that I heal at a bonfire. Like It's always oh, uh, either avoiding the bonfires and going after elites or using it to upgrade. Um, but yeah, I, I usually just count on the boss beating to be my healing mm-hmm. if I'm doing well enough. And that's one of the fun things about these bosses. Um, I like the touch where after each level you completely heal. So... It allows the boss fights to be a little more dramatic and tense because you can really like 
come out of that. They can make barely it. scrape your way out of that. Come crawling away to act two then, and you'll be you know you'll be fine as long as you just beat this one guy. Yeah, it it makes them allow it, it allows the developer to make the uh the bosses head and shoulders harder than like an elite fight which you should be able to roll with the punches and come out of relatively unscathed if you do if you're playing your cards right uh-huh. um but the bosses yeah they're they're kind of expecting that to be like a stage gate that you can just barely make it through and then uh you know you beat the boss your health is healed you get a new boss relic which are a higher tier of relic it's worth noting uh, they're usually quite powerful and then you are on to the next floor. Um, so we talked uh, a lot about um, what we did in building our decks uh, as we make our way up the, the tower and how it's not always better to have a bigger deck. Uh, insert dick joke here. Um, but um, normally, deck, I'll be honest, deck builders kind of overwhelm me. Uh, you know, needing to like properly balance a deck with attack, defense, and energy efficiency is more than I care to bother with a lot of times. That is like a level of customization and strategizing that I rarely can get my head around because, you know, I don't like to spend a hundred thousand hours playing a single game. I like to sort of move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. But this game subverted that and allowed me to just sort of roll with it, like you said, Clint. Yeah, we're in the same boat there, man, Brian. I like to play games to relax because I have (laughs) enough things going on in my life that require a lot of knowledge and planning and everything else that I just want to kick back and relax. Deck builders are not that because, again, you're sitting there trying to think like, ooh, how does this card interact with that card and this and that? And I can't. How does this card interact with these 500 other cards? Yeah, I just can't do that. At least this, this way, you made the choice on the fly and it only really screwed you over for that run and you get to turn back around and do the whole thing over again very true it isn't a game i would say has a limited possibility space because it very clearly has a huge possibility space but Mm -hmm. it's limited within the context of each run which helps keep it manageable in the the brain Mm -hmm. yeah on the flip side of that i think obviously if it was something persistent i would put more time and thought into it and i could probably play better because I'm going to be honest, I'm not like getting super strategized every time we go through. Because I'm like, I'm probably going to make it through two acts and then die. So I'm not like digging in hardcore. And I think if I had that mindset, I could do better. But I don't know. Well, then with that, why don't we uh, go into some three-word reviews for Slay the Spire? Uh, my three-word review is Searching for Synergy. Uh, every run I took in this game was sort of a treasure hunt for that first seed I needed to start my powerful snowball of a deck rolling and it's really satisfying to uh, have a plan come together and take advantage of a synergy when it comes up but it also requires a lot of familiarity with the game i think that's going to be an inherent disadvantage to games of this type and for a planner like me that can be tough to swallow but in the end it forces you to think outside the box and i i always reward that either way i'm happy to take part in my little treasure hunt and the search for synergy two thumbs up for me Mine was shoots and ladders. So you climb up, you fall down, you do it all over again. Every time you're hoping to find some new random combination of cards or items that fit better into your strategy and help you get to the top. Uh, for me, roguelikes, uh, aside from Hitman, uh, gosh, are, 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 are not my cup of tea. So I got to be honest, as far as roguelikes go, this, this scratch and itch that many of the other ones didn't for me, I was super frustrated with this whole genre because I like progress. I like to feel persistent progress in this 
genre subverts that entirely. But as far as roguelikes go, this was uh, this was fun. I would recommend playing it on on mobile. It was easy to pick up and put down, and uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. Thumbs up for me. All right, this was a thumbs up for me. I had a lot of fun playing it. I think I played this game more than either of you two did. I think I got about 40 or 50 hours in. So at least going by Steam play uh, clock time, I'm up there. But my three-word review for this is A House Divided. Um, From the Abraham Lincoln quote, A house divided against itself cannot stand. I consider myself someone who likes roguelikes a lot, but I actually feel in this deck builder, the way they did the progression and the obtaining of new cards and relics worked the deck builder parts of it worked against the roguelike parts of it um with the deck builder it's all about strategizing crafting the perfect deck together and with the roguelike it's all about you know taking what you're given and working with that however you can start off the game trying to go through one way, get one strategy with your deck, but then the roguelike nature of it comes through halfway and says, well, you didn't get the relic you were looking for, or you got this really good rare card, and now you gotta switch things that way. And if you could completely switch, if there was some mechanism they had in there that you could switch strategies halfway through and still be effective, maybe not 100% effective, but like, 80 to 90 percent where that could be a valid choice that would have been much better but because you could go through you could put 30 minutes into a run and then you just can't win with what you got because something didn't happen um it was the two parts of the game the deck builder and the roguelike divided against each other yeah, it's definitely a, a t- it's a valid criticism but I did I, I uh, still a yeah, thumbs that's... up from me reviews but as i understand it every seed is winnable in this game you just need to be i guess psychic or something like that <laughs> winnable well but... may, i'm sure there's people who are much better at this game than i am but do they mean winnable to act three or winnable past act four i'll link you this blog post i read the math was a little over my head to be perfectly honest but um they they sort of gamed it out um so i will i'll link that to you and you can you can tell me if you agree whether or not this game is truly uh, every seed winnable okay or not and we'll put that up on the website too when we put this episode out with that let's go on to our second game of the discussion one step from eden uh this is also a deck builder game but it's uh an interesting counterpoint to the turn-based slay the spire in that it is completely real-time and a grid-based game i heard this was uh, influenced heavily by Mega Man Battle Network. I've never played that game, but if you have, perhaps that gives you some reference for this one. I've played it a lot, and uh, the second I saw the screenshots, I was like, that's exactly what this game is. Oh, good, good. <laughs> we have some confirmation that it, that is what it is. Good. Um, I love it when indie developers like this take sort of a dead genre or series and sort of resurrect the mechanics and put it in a new context. Mm-hmm. That is... that. It's sort of like wish fulfillment, like right? Like if you were a Mega Man Battle Network fan, then you probably haven't had a game that you really jived with in that vein for years. And here we have an indie developer sort of t- taking some of the mechanics from that and putting it in a fresh new game. So kudos to the developer, Thomas Moon Kang, for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this game was recently released, I think uh, 2020, March I'm sorry, in March of 2020 on the PC and Switch. This one I played on the Switch. Uh, Brian, I know you played this one too. Uh, was it PC or Switch for you? 
I played it on the PC, and um, yeah, I, I, I think this uh, game would work extremely well on the Switch. I think, you know, if I'm looking for um, a new roguelike on the, the Switch, I might end up picking it up at some point. It's a cool game. It's got, it's definitely a novel system since I hadn't played Mega Man Battle Network to me. Mm-hmm. The combat in this game is you're on a four by four grid. That's your side, and then there's a 4x4 four four grid that's the enemy side, and um, you draw two spells from your deck uh, to the A and B button, and you can cast one of those two spells, and each of those spells has a different effect, you know, shoot lightning four squares away, or summon a laser turret in front of you, or line the enemy field with mines. Um, the, the interesting thing to me in this is the energy you're using to deploy those spells is recharging in real time mm-hmm. as opposed to the turn-based nature of you know Slay the Spire or most deck builders to that end. Um, it struck me as immediately extremely hectic. <laughs> it did feel extremely hectic and I do I will tell you like I feel I'm you know I, I'm, I feel fairly literate in games. You put a game in front of me and I feel like I can get to the meat of it. Um, the mm-hmm. meat of the systems fairly quickly, but this one took a little bit longer than I think normal. Uh, but once I did, I feel the game opened up for me. Once I did understand it more, I think I didn't quite get to that point. I, I clearly played less of this than you, but um, it, I didn't get to the point where I was making strategic decisions as much as I wanted to. With you know my deploying and my um, movement around the the grid, uh, I think it was just a lot to keep in your head at one time right like you have to be dodging enemy attacks as they come at you in real time deploying your spells in real time from specific locations because as you mentioned josh each um each spell you cast has an area of effect associated with it and it could be either on your side of the grid or their side of the grid and you don't know which one's necessarily going to come next because um it's a deck builder although it does have sort of a line of like five on the left hand side of the screen showing you what is coming next but that doesn't encompass your entire deck usually, um, and to me, it was just it was trying to keep my my brain on like four different paths at once, and I just it, I never quite grasped it. Once you get there, it works a lot smoother. Like um, I remember the first maybe three uh, runs I went through, I'd be getting destroyed before I got to the first boss at the end of the. <laughs> again, they had like an FTL choose your own path sort of thing, um, but. Once I got past the point, you know, I'd, uh, there'd be runs where with the first level I wouldn't get touched at all because I could read what was coming in and how to best position myself um, later on, too. The combat, yes, very hectic at first, but once it becomes more legible, uh, very interesting and engaging mechanics there. And also the, the art is very pretty. Um, the pixel art of the characters and the, the effects for the spells is really well done. Um, so it was it was a visual treat more so than Slay the Spire, except for the fact of the backgrounds. Weirdly, I like noticed a lot more that the backgrounds never changed in this game, despite the fact that it's the same thing for Slay the Spire, and I never even like clocked that. Hmm. So there's something about this game's art in terms of the backgrounds that left me wanting, um, whereas Slay the Spire, with arguably the same amount of variation, didn't even cross my mind. I gotcha. Oh, one thing I'll say, too, while we're on the topic of legibility is I feel like there are parts of the 
game that were not very legible. Uh, like you'd come into a, uh, you come to a new level and there's like, oh, there's someone fallen down on the other side of the map on the enemy side. Um, and if you don't attack them at the end of the level, they'll like give you an artifact or give you a new card or give you some bonus like that. And it's not necessarily made clear that saving them is a good thing and you shouldn't be throwing lightning bolts at them. Uh, that took me a few runs to realize. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's uh, that's one of the ways they do uh, mid-level healing is through those people you can run across. Um, and, and I was murdering them. Yep. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I mean, I get what you could say with a roguelike that you got to learn these things on their own, but I think this is even a little bit farther than that in that it could have been made clearer that these are people to protect as a like uh maybe there's a little speech bubble that comes out and says help save me at the beginning of a level um rather than oh look there's an someone lying down they're probably lobbing grenades at me better better take care of them quick right i i think honestly like the amount of learning you do need to do in this um to your point about what uh divided slay the spire against itself um, I feel like this game was divided against itself in that these mechanics seem much better suited to a non-roguelike game. I think if I had uh, a game of this style where I was persistently deck building and advancing a character so that I could understand like what was coming into my hand at any given time a lot better, um, not just on a run-per-run -run basis, I think that would help me um, sort of grok these mechanics a lot easier. Um, and, you know, like I said, maybe I just didn't spend enough time with this game, but I would, I think if I were to play another game like this, I would like it to be more of a persistent game rather than a roguelike. Okay. Uh, I will say, I'll tell you what the difference between this one and Slay the Spire. And I think these games, they're a great contrast to each other because they're both deck builders, but Slay the Spire turn-based, which was great. I could play that while doing literally anything else uh listening to a podcast doing anything and whenever i needed to not pay attention you just come back later on uh but this game worked well in real time as well uh but the difference between the two um first i gotta explain the spells you get they generally fall in different classes like there's the elemental attacks you can fling at somebody there's the um poison classes like uh it's poison and leeching and healing and things like that there's the spells that are like build a structure and do things with structures there's uh, movement related cards in schools um so there's all these different schools uh of cards that kind of synergize with each other and have different effects on the battlefield like that and this is again not something that was very legible at first but this did help me out a lot with the game as I understand it, the classes as you unlock them become a lot more or become more focused. I'd say um, they start off more focused, but hmm. towards the deck building aspect, like Slay the Spire, after each combat you can add a new card or new spell to your deck. Um, but there's two little question marks above your current deck, and they say focus. And if you click on one of those, you can select the school of spells you would like to receive more spells from. And then I those no cards have <laughs> a much higher chance of showing up in future card rewards. So you can, like, shift your game towards this or that, depending on where you go. And that was the big difference between Slay and One Step for me. Your ability to influence the, the quote-unquote, randomness of the, the run. Yeah, you could you could get a strategy out of it that wouldn't be 
negate it or wouldn't uh, you wouldn't be able to follow through on it uh you could mm. get a strategy in this one and ride that train but again not exactly legible when you first pull up the ui screen so this game does have different classes in it as well um unlike slay the spire where the classes had completely different decks um in this one they all can draw from the same deck they all get the same set of cards but your starting cards are very different depending on who you choose also your starting power your starting kind of like artifact can be different uh so there is some variety there uh and once you open up a few characters i think you try different characters that kind of have an inherently different play style and that's where you start to see a little bit more of the lines of the game and where they lead where they can go Uh, with that, why don't we do some three-word reviews? For One Step from Eden, my three-word review was Demanding Deck Dueler. Uh, adding a real-time element to a deck builder roguelike was just one step too far for my brain, and as a result, I, I didn't get as much mileage from this clearly novel game as I, I wished I would have. I am open to revisiting it. Uh, the nice thing about roguelikes is they're, they're ripe for revisitation, but for now, uh, this resonated less with me than Slay the Spire did, although that is an extremely high bar to clear. My three-word review for this was A Different Drummer. Uh, this game was very different than pretty much anything I'd played before. I guess it is very much like Mega Man Battle Network, so if that's a point of reference. But coming to this, I didn't really know what was going on, and it took me a while to be able to legibly read the action that was going on on the screen and the actions that I was doing myself. Uh, but once I got there, it was a very enjoyable experience. I never beat the game, but I did get to world i think seven out of eight a few times so i've had a few good runs on this it definitely scratched the roguelike itch for me and although i would say slay the spire is a more polished game and even a more fun game um i enjoyed this more and i think it's a it's one i'll get more mileage out of in the long term high praise coming up against something like slay the spire mm-hmm and I do love that it was like this homage to Me- Me- uh, Mega Man Battle Network. It's like you said, Brian, when you aren't getting any new games that you want to play, you just go off and make it yourself. And that's a great thing to be able to do. Some enterprising indie dev out there is working on the Ogre Battle 64 mechanics-based RPG. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm hey, here you never for it. Know. If you're out there listening, DM me or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Mega Man. It's, I don't think Mega Man Battle Network has had anything since Game Boy Advance. So you never know. Nothing's dead till it's till it's over. So that's right. Nothing's dead Not till it's it. forgotten. For us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki, and I'm Clint Jones. Take care, and keep on dealing.
you're here for or, uh, deck builders, here's some, some ones that I liked that you can check out. Night of the Full Moon on iOS. It's basically Grimm's Fairy Tales meets a roguelike deck builder. Uh, Meteor Fall on iOS. Uh, Whimsical Post Apocalypse meets roguelike deck builder. Dream Quest on iOS, as I mentioned at the top. Shitty art style, but the godfather of uh, all of these games. Loot Rascals. We talked about it in our um, little I wouldn't call uh, that Justice a deck bundle. It's barely a deck builder. They call it cards, <laughs> but really it's like, you're not shuffling, you're not dealing. I, I'm going to veto that one. Fair point, fair point. Um, Card City Knights, one and two. This is a deck builder with a spatial uh, board that you battle on. It's pretty cool. It's got like a cartoon art style, very neat. Steam World Quest, uh, sort of a RPG story, not roguelike at all, but it's a pretty cool RPG uh, deck builder. Griftlands, uh, newly released out of Early Access. I played a round of it. I enjoyed it. I'm going to revisit it once it's out of Early Access. And finally, Signs of the Sojourner. Uh, uses deck building roguelike mechanics to have conversations with people in a cheerful post-apocalypse. Uh, just recently played it and part of the Racial Justice Bundle. Highly recommended. Oh, okay. No, I'm looking forward to playing I'm looking forward to playing um, Signs of the Sojourner as well. It looked very interesting. What was the iOS one that was like Grimm's Fairy Tales? Uh, Night of the Full Moon. And you said, well, okay, you liked it, but how much did you like it? Like a little, uh, I, a lot? To, to me, it was, it, it, it's a very similar to Slay the Spire, to be honest. Right. It's got like four classes, and um, the only, the big, the biggest difference is each run sort of tells a story, and you make your way through it with each of the four characters, and it sort of fills in a different aspect of the story. And um, it's free. I, I, I don't, oh, 99 cents. I think I can, I think I can spare the extra dollar and just try it out it's cool it, it's um it's much easier to grok than um slay the spire uh there's a good like reddit article that will basically tell you like good strategies there's a lot smaller of a possibility space here it's just a smaller game but um i liked it a lot it uh it does suffer from a bit of like it's definitely not a not um made by first language english speakers so clearly some translation um came into this one <laughs> but uh, it's still good. It's got cool art, and uh, it's a satisfying game. If you're going to get one of these on iOS, um, my recommendation overnight of the full moon is Meteor Fall. Um, Meteor Fall Journeys, I think, is the full name of the game. It uh, is. It sort of <laughs> uses like a Tinder-style uh, interaction, like you sl- swipe left or right to use a card or bank it and get like an additional action point or something like that, and uh, that is a cool game. Uh, Meteor Fall Journeys. Swipe uh, right on that one. You, you were talking about the deck likes out there. Um, or I guess you were talking about deck like roguelikes. Um, what I was going back to is some of the original deck building games. Magic the Gathering. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a classic. And all yep. of its sins have been with us ever since then. But a lot of the things like the strategies, the complexity... The combinatorial explosion that can happen with comparing one card against 500 others all dates back to what was that 1992 93 when it first came out a long time ago yeah we're we're all children of the 90s so let's just do this quick gut check how many of you have magic the gathering cards in your home right now nope somewhere in a box Uh, no I, i never got into magic strangely it seems like something that would have been right up my alley when i was a kid but i think it was a factor of me like having no money so I just never got into magic. <laughs> oh. oh, I hate to be the nerd this time. I've I've got magic cards here. 
Brian, we can uh, play right. sometime. Do you really <laughs> hate to be the nerd? No, it's kind of my thing. But we're all nerds here, so I hate to be king among nerds. Good lord. King nerd. Big king nerd. That's okay. Uh, everybody has different aspects of nerddom that they are the king of. It's true. Yeah. I had the Pokemon cards still, too, so I guess that's me. You were the physical card nerd, apparently. How about that? Yeah, I like collecting shit. What do you know? Look mm -hmm. at my Steam library and you'll understand. <laughs> Wait, don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the backlog of, of shame is real. We all have it. Hmm. Um, to an extent. But yeah, I uh, no, I never I never did a, a physical card game, really. Uh, although I did have Pokemon cards. I just never actually played them. I just collected them. This was all because my buddy Luke, and if you're listening, and I know he does every month, so he's probably out there. This is your fault. He had the Pokemon cards, he had the Magic cards, and I just played because he played. So <laughs> shoutouts to Luke. Yep. Our uh, our uh, payday Sherpa. Um, yeah, that's right. 